Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Hello, everyone. Welcome to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. We are the show that is grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit which we believe is a rare hybrid that you're not apt to find in a lot of places here in the, the airwaves. I don't know if you say airwaves anymore in digital in the digital age, but um, this is a show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation. And what we hope is a chance to delve a little bit deeper into the questions, the mysteries of life in a way that you can't do anywhere else. I'm Callie Alpert. I'm here in New York with my dear friend and co-host, Steve Hassenberg. Hi, Callie. Hi, Steve. I'm very attached to our subject today. <laughs> I'm so glad. That, that always works well for us. And that's a beautiful little teaser right there. So we'll get right into it. How many of you know what it means to be attached to things that you want, to people that you desire? It could be to your identity via a role that you have in your family or a job title, your possessions. You can be attached to the old stories of who you are. And what about the things that you try hard to avoid? Unpleasant feelings, tough circumstances, uncomfortable situations. Do you run toward pleasure and do you run from pain? Well, most of we humans do at one time or another, if not all of the time. That is our natural reflexive makeup. And we're here to show you that there's another option that actually the more space you can create between uh, be around both the desire for pleasure and the desire to avoid pain, the more centered and joyful you will become. So today, the art of non-attachment and non-aversion. Mm. So did you like that intro? Do you connect? I really do <laughs> connect. I like non-attachment, non-aversion. Mm -hmm. And for those people who don't know that, those terms come from Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And they're probably the central feature of Buddhism. And sometimes they call Buddhism the third path. The third path being between non-attachment and non-aversion. <laughs> and we can go more into that today. Yeah, and we definitely will. Because it's, I think... Um, it's if you're on a journey, if you're on a mindfulness journey, if you have a spiritual practice, these are words that are used a lot for most people every day. They're not. And so it's um, our intention to at least become help everybody become more aware of when we might be doing either of those things and then ways to find space around it so that we don't do the pendulum swing between it feels good. I don't want to feel bad, which is something I think um, a lot of us do. I really well. I know I've done it really well plenty of the time. Um, I have like, too, Kelly. Yeah, I think we have. Don't um, leave me out. <laughs> well, I think you've come well. You, I think you're probably further along than most people I know in, um, in creating space, but we'll get to that. So if you'd like to join the conversation, that's why we are here. We invite people. Don't be shy. We know sometimes we have um, listeners that want to call and then they feel a little self-conscious about, you know, coming, coming on, um, uh, on the radio with us. We'd love to hear from you if you want to share stories, thoughts. You can get um, great advice from beloved sensei here, and I can always try to help as well. The number is 816-251-3555. So why don't we start with just a little bit more specificity about what the concept of attachment is, because it really comes in so many forms, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it, it, it can really apply to most anything. Well, I think that especially in the Western culture, we use that word often, we're attached to the new car, I'm attached to a new girlfriend, 
I'm attached to a new boyfriend. I have to have something. Um, all of those, uh, those are feelings of safety, really. Um, attachment has so much to do with I want to feel safe. And I don't want to feel um, chaotic. I don't want to feel fragile. And if I can attach to something, if I can have something, if I can get the new job, if I can make a certain amount of money, I'm going to feel safe. But what usually happens is when we get those things, and they're wonderful to have, there's nothing wrong with them, uh, ultimately we don't feel safe at all. And so this is what we want to talk about today. We form our identities out of things that are safe. So, yeah, we definitely form our identities out of things that are safe. And I don't think many people think about it that much either, right? I think that we often um, aren't aware that we're that we're doing it. You know, I mean, it's kind of a natural reflex, but I feel like most of us don't even, we're not even clear that this is our natural kind of inclination well, to the do. Well, cult the culture's set up that way. You know, we go to school, we go to college, we get the good job. Then after we get the good job, we find the mate. And after we find the mate, we find the house with the white picket fence. And then we get the dog. And then after we get the dog, we get the kids. And all of those things are beautiful. There's not, I'm not making fun of them. I've done it myself. It's just that when we attach too much pressure, we create too much pressure on ourselves to have those things. It really is speaking to the fact that I feel insecure. If there's great pressure there, it really means I'm insecure. So do you remember, like, I'm trying to think of, um, I mean, there's so many things that I've been attached to over the years, you know, um, whether when I was younger, attached to striving for achievements, looking to um, for certain versions of success, d deep desire to be the next Oprah Winfrey and believing that I couldn't do good for the world unless that's what, you know, what, ha what happened for me. Um, you know, attached to unrequited uh, crushes with boys that I wanted to have relationships with, with certain, I remember moving to, I'm just kind of naming just sort of a little laundry list in my head of all the different ways that, um, you know, kind of innocent lifestyle attachment happens. I remember moving to Los Angeles in 1990, and I'd never really, I've never been a materialistic person per se, but I remember driving around all those fancy neighborhoods in Beverly Hills and thinking to myself, wow, I have to aspire to have one of those big houses or I will not right. have arrived, you know, right. That's so and true. it's really, um, yeah, it's really, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's and interesting. I needed to have the big psychology practice. Mm -hmm. And when I didn't have the big psychology practice, I felt very insecure. Mm. And I felt there was something wrong with me that God had rejected me. And um, I I was really searching for my security. And let me just say, moving into this topic, that the security that we're looking for is, has always lived inside of us. And so when we talk about non-attachment, we're talking about a stepping back at times from some of our desires and stepping toward our true self. Why do you think it is that attachment is such a natural human inclination? When, oh, when, when you go on a path, I always find this so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, on, a, on a bigger yeah. level, you know, when you're on a spiritual path, the, the goal is always to become more open, more spacious, more quiet, more mindful, less attached to all the typical earthly trappings and, and emotions and just to find more peace and more stillness. Right. And yet when we come into this, this life, we are anything but feels like we're conditioned to be completely the opposite. And then That's the goal right. is to have to undo it all. And it's it's just it's interesting to me that yeah, we're all so I, mired in this, you know. I think a lot of that is because we're so directed outward. Mm. And you can make this argument about the fact that Asian, not necessarily Japan or China, but certainly India is a place that people wouldn't necessarily want to emulate. Mm. And they often think of India as a place where 
spiritual spirituality has been practiced and the culture has fallen apart in so many ways. Yeah. So that's a yeah. whole other topic. Yeah. 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 That's, that is a whole other topic. And it's interesting because it has everything to do with how the outside um, presentation is not what really what the truth is, that there's so much depth underneath any presentation of what we yeah. see, whatever our perception is of something. Right. Yeah. There was a, um, when we were first talking about this show, you had, well, you always have good quotes and references to ancient wisdom. Um, when we talked about Gandhi as a great example of how you can be very engaged and yet very non-attached. And that's one thing we want to make a distinction about here today, that being non-attached is not about being disassociated. It's not about being um, separated from or turned off by. It's it's about being more fully engaged. Right. And you cited Gandhi as a perfect example of that. And then you told the the great Buddha story that I always love. You want to hear that Buddha story? I would. I think it's a beautiful story to share with everybody. Well, um, at some point, really at a very young age, I think he was about 28 or 29, Buddha had tried all kinds of spiritual techniques in order to, what he said was, end suffering, end human suffering. Uh, And he was a part of that suffering. And then he sat under the Bodhi tree. And when he sat under the Bodhi tree, what he said was, I'm going to sit here either until I die or until I liberate. He was a very patient man. (laughs) He was very determined, that's Mm -hmm. for sure, right? Mm -hmm. So what happened was that he had to sit through all of his human failings his jealousies, he had to sit through his greed, he had to sit through his fears. And when I say sit through, he was sitting in lotus position, he wasn't running away, mm-hmm. he wasn't avoiding, he was allowing these experiences to wash over him mm. in, a, in a kind of immovable way. And at the end, what happened, the final test was that the Mara, the goddess of death, came with her army. And she started shooting, the army started shooting flaming arrows at the Buddha. And the Buddha didn't run, didn't move, sat there in a state of stillness, in a state of meditation. And as the arrows hit the ground, they bloomed into flowers. Mm. And this flowering and this blossoming is the way they talk about Buddha's enlightenment. I always love that story. I don't get sick of that one. Is it <laughs> such a beautiful, first of all, it's, you know, with a very, um, very important historical spiritual figure. Uh, that's an understatement. But also because it's just such a beautiful example of letting things wash over us. And being and that stillness can never be overrated. Right. It's such an extreme example. And then going back to Gandhi, when you think about what Gandhi took on as a holder um, and, and activist for peace in, you know, so many eyes of the storm, um, that it's just it's 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 powerful when you can get to a place where you can even start to have a taste of what that experience is. These are very extreme, very highly evolved ex- examples that we're, we're giving, but but highly aspirational, you know? Right, historical examples are really good. Yeah. So if you look at Gandhi and his nonviolence, and you look at Buddha and his willingness to sit through even his own death without being terrified running away, you really get the sense of, Huh, maybe I could sit through a difficulty. Maybe I could um, not react. I think react, the word react is a good one. Mm. Maybe I can learn not to react as much to everything that comes through my mind or many of the circumstances that befall me. And that kind of non-reactivity is another way of talking about non-attachment. 
Isn't it also too? I mean, I, um, I I know that you many of many times have offered up the analogy of sort of like um of base camp, or of a center being yeah. able to pull yourself back to center. Because when I think about the energy of chasing and you know and reacting and attaching to um, either again something we want or something we're trying to avoid, I think about a pendulum in my mind swinging <laughs> from left to yeah. right. And so many people um, live that way. I have people, you know, in my family, um, for example, that are extremely reactive to every little thing. And there's so little quiet in between. There's so little space. Everything is based on circumstances and very little is based on the, the inside. And I think one of the goals today is I'm just sort of listening um, to, you know, what we're what we're covering thus far is that this is also a a, a case to be made for finding that inner well of stillness in between all of the chasing and avoiding because there is that reserve that's inside of all of us if we choose to recognize that it exists and then figure out how to um, not even excavate it but just peel back the layers and say hello to it because it's there for all of us yeah how to make contact with it Right. right right exactly when they say we live lives of quiet desperation I think you sum. <laughs> I know. I don't know what that is. Just I think you sum that up in terms of the idea of chasing everything, mm-hmm. worrying all the time. I mean, I was, I have been, as you know, one of the world's great worriers. I'm, I've become more of a warrior now, but I was a warrior, mm-hmm. and um, I worried about all kinds of imaginary things that came through my mind that I made into huge issues, issues about money. I, I'd worry about money all the time. And uh, it took me a long time to learn to step back from that and get to know it. Because when we're dominated by it, we don't even know what it is. And by stepping back from it, you begin to understand it. You begin to have a conversation with it. You begin to get to know it as you get to know somebody uh, as a friend. So money now is more of a friend to me. And before it was more of an enemy. Mm. And it's and that's completely the opposite of how people would view any storylines, for example. So now we're talking about attachment when it comes to persistent storylines or persistent difficult circumstances in our life. We'll put that in the category, money in the category of that. And to make friends with it is um, to make friends with that, that concern is exactly the opposite of what worry is, right? It wouldn't be someone's natural inclination. It's something that's been deeply on my mind now for many, many years as I've gone through different rhythms in life when it comes to money and employment. And um, like a lot of people have, and sometimes it can feel like such a persistent storyline and in some ways for your own if the circumstances aren't changing and you don't want to gauge your sense of well-being and peace and joy on circumstances which is the goal right. then the next thing is to figure out how to say all right well this thing is still here the circumstance is still following me this is forcing my hand to try to create some space to become to create some non-attachment Yet the last thing I would think about, now I try, but earlier in my you know, trajectory of learning and, um, and practice would have been to go make friends with my worries about money or my sense of lack. You know, it's kind right. of an opposite reflex. It's really a teaching. Yeah. You know, it's something that people come to see me and it's a teaching that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, talk, we talk about making friends with uh, personal subpersonalities that we have, parts of us that we don't get along with, parts of us that scare us in the middle of the night. We also talk about making friends with certain uh, circumstances. For me, it was uh, making friends with money and the fact that I always thought I would be homeless. Mm. And when I tell people that, they're just absolutely shocked. You homeless? Mm-hmm. Homelessness was my greatest fear for decades. Mm. And maybe I had a past life as a homeless guy, but certainly in this <laughs> lifetime, 
I, I always, my, my abject fear and my abject terror was that all my clients were going to leave and I would be living in my car until I couldn't afford that anymore. And then I'd be on the street with a push cart. Well, you're saying I have the benefit of being able to see your face and you're smiling. So I know there's some creative poetry in here for you in terms of not we're not, you know, we're not judging one way or the other because there are a lot of people that struggle with this situation in a real way. Right. But for you, it was coming from a place of fear, perhaps. Pure fear. Yeah. And it was it was uh, kept me up at night. Yeah. Woke me up in the morning. <laughs> it was always there. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and had so much to do with my how I grew up because my father, my father's father was in the depression, lost everything, and so my father brought that into our family, and had a his own terror about money every weekend. Yeah. So I I kind of took it on. Yeah, I I understand that. I have. Um, I feel like in certain ways I've taken on certain family familial karmic storylines or things that I'm mirroring, even though I'm consciously certainly not choosing to. It's pretty wild how that happens. But while it's happening, we have to figure out how to make space for it. Right. Yep. So do you remember the first time that you awakened to the concept of non-attachment or the idea that there that you didn't have to be owned by these fears, attachments, desires, stories, that you could find some separation? I actually happen to remember something. You do? Yeah. Tell me. Um, um, I think that it's so interesting because before I woke up, I believed that I was every thought that I ever had. Mm. And I believed that I was every feeling that I ever had. And I didn't know that who I was was different than thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. And so on a magic mushroom trip, when I was 19 years old. Was there a magic carpet there too? It took me on a magic carpet. Mm -hmm. I guess you didn't need one. <laughs> on one of those trips, which have their value, um, all of a sudden, I was a being watching thoughts, watching my own thoughts, and watching my own feelings. And yet I wasn't of those thoughts and feelings. I was separate. Mm. And I was very happy being separate. And it was like, well, I just woke up. I've been in a dream for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. how it felt. The world of illusion that we live in. That is, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I'm a firm believer that what you're describing is the reality. That is the truth. And that what we live, what we get caught on all these webs that we get caught in is really the illusion. Yeah. But that's very deep. <laughs> we could go there. Very, very deep. Okay. Um, this is, uh, reminds me of the two examples that we talk about a lot. In well, I'll, I'll back up for a second. I think it's a it, um, it's a it's a concept that I've only learned really in the last I don't know less than ten years about the difference between this is what you're describing the big I and the little I, you know as the, the letters capital I and little I, in that <clears throat> the big I is your universal sort of spiritual essence that's not attached to all these earthly trappings, and can witness in a bigger higher macro lens way you as the little I, which is the personality with the reactions and the attachments and all the things that you just described being able to witness, except it's all one being. And Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie, I guess Eckhart Tolle, especially in um, The Power of Now, I believe in the introduction when he talks about how he was in a deep state of depression, suicidal um, ideations. And then there was this moment where he realized there was some space between his attachment. He might not have used these words, but I'm trying to keep it, I'm trying to ground it in, in our theme here today, um, where he actually could recognize a space between the depression and sadness that he was feeling in his personality and his bigger eye that felt like um, it, was up, it was observing him in a bigger way 
from a from a broader perspective. So I think that it's just a really beautiful thing to try to offer people. A lot of people joke, oh, I have split personalities and my this personality and my that personality. But there's something legit about it if you look at it from the perspective of attaching um, and you start to kind of play with finding space inside all the parts of yourself. There's the part of myself that is terrified that I'm going to die alone with no money. Those are two true things for me. Um, and then there's the bigger part of me that has a relationship with a higher essence and a more universal trust on a good day, not every day, um, that knows that those things are not aligned with what we really are meant to experience as souls. And so mm -hmm. it's, um, it's helpful to just try to remember and separate out that you have the opportunity to make relationships with both of these eyes, your big eye and your little eye. I think it's just a beautiful and pretty simple way to, to look at the idea of creating space. Beautiful explanation. I really liked it. Thank you. Um, so with that, uh, we're gonna we're gonna run to a break in a moment. Just want to invite everybody to call in 816-251-3555. We're talking about the art of attachment and non-aversion, and we will be right back. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. We are talking today about the art of non-attachment and non-aversion, all the different ways that we um, mostly inadvertently and mostly unconsciously, I dare dare say, um, attach to things. It could be our attachment to people, to our partners, to an old story we have about ourselves, to a circumstance that just won't quit, um, and the idea of running toward pleasure and away from pain and how ultimately that probably won't get you to a place of centeredness and joy. Wouldn't you say? Uh, I, I'd also like to say attachment is natural. Mm. So I don't want anybody to think they shouldn't be attached. And it's also good to have de desires are beautiful. Desires are what makes life sing. And so the idea of desires, and they, this is from the Bhagavad Gita, it said... Um, uh, have your desires, uh, act, but don't at be attached to the fruits of your actions. And mm. so that's one way of thinking about it. We're here to act. We're here to create. We're here to expand. We're here to love. We're here to create joy. All of those things. But what we're talking about today is having that interior space that will allow us to have more freedom and actually more power. So that we're not at the mercy of all of the happenings around Cor us, right? Correct. That's really it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I see we have a few callers that are on the line. So let's take our call to, let's see. We have our first caller. Caller, are you there? Hello? Hi. Where are you calling Hi. from and what's your name? Um, my name is Jan. I love your show. I call in every week almost. Thank you. Maybe, would you like to start <laughs> our fan I'm club? Calling, we, we're, in the, we're in the market for one. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you. Thank you so much. Um, do you, you have know, a question or the, comment for us? I do. The question I have might have just gotten answered, um, because, but, but maybe you could um, dwell on it a bit more. The big riddle for me has always been that if we all practice non-attachment, how will we ever get things done? And I, I heard um, Steve just say something like, have desires, but don't be attached to the outcome. Um, 
this is so it, it's so wonderful it's so ideal but how do you do it mm, that's a great question thank you and a very relatable one very very relatable one yeah um I think about there's another quote that I want to throw out that kind of speaks to maybe I'm getting a little bit closer to an answer for you that um, mm -hmm. it was it's no boyfriend taught me this quote a long time ago. The world belongs to the enthusiast that keeps cool, you know, oh, um, where you again, you're not separating or um, disassociating or detaching non-attachment and detachment are again, I don't want to get into the semantics too much, but they're not really they're not the same thing. Um, and the goal, and, and Steve says this all the time, do this and accomplish more, right? Isn't that your favorite mantra lately? You've been using do, that one. Do lately. less and accomplish more. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's, let's talk about this idea of uh, full, uh, you know, I got this from Titnat Han. Titnat Han is a, a wonderful Buddhist monk and writer and uh, was a Nobel Prize nominee from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And what he taught me over the years is a full participation Buddhism. But we could also say full participation in life. You want to use up your life. You want to live your life at the same time as you're asking, Jan, how do you instill more silence into a life well lived? And that's done through meditation. That's done through mindfulness. It's done through loving kindness. It's done from practicing things that allow us to step back. And if we practice stepping back, then when we're engaged in the middle of activity, mm -hmm. we have this ability to be still and yet active. This is inherent in human beings. It's natural. We can be completely engaged and we can, as Callie said before, witness our engagement. And when we can witness our engagement and it does take practice, then we have more options. We have more freedom we have more joy because we realize that whatever's going on circumstantially or whatever's going on with our thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. isn't us, that we're standing behind, we're engaging and we're watching both. How does okay. that fit for you? Oh, that, that makes total sense. So it, uh, the key is learning stillness. Um, through meditation, right? Right. It's a big piece and, of it. And mindfulness. You could practice mindfulness. And mindfulness. Mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. Yoga can help. Mm -hmm. Taking walks in nature where you let your mind drift okay. and not be so attached to all the noise going on and mm -hmm. all the places where it's pulling you. I'm also hearing Jen. I don't know if um if I if I heard a tinge of this also in your question. Are you because you said sometimes if you're not attached, then how do you get things done? Uh, am yeah. I also hearing something about the idea of like the being versus doing concept? The notion of how can you like being active and being still? Absolutely. Or is that just me projecting yeah, into great. your question? Yeah. <laughs> if you could go into that more, that's great. Exactly. This is a, um, this one's, and this might be why I was projecting, because this is a conversation that Steve and I have had this week. This is a big topic on my, on my mind. Um, and I think that uh, I'm still learning. I think that Steve is closer to mastery on this, the, the evidence of how much um, like letting go and creating space can actually create more um, activity than the attachment to action. If you get, I think there's a sweet spot in the middle. I don't know that I know where it is every day, but where um, I think the the less attached you are, the less caught you are, because if often I think extreme caughtness is more of um, a reflection of fear than it is a reflection of 
achievement or your desire to achieve. And I think if you can find that space and those nuances in between, it can help to just sort of relax and soften into your desires for action and actually probably work out better in the long run. I don't know if I'm, am I articulating that clearly? It's so close to me this week that I don't know that I'm being um, as objective in relaying it as I could be. You're asking me? Yeah, I wanted to know if that works. <laughs> yeah, does, that, am I, does that make sense to you? Is it helping it with, your, with your question? And, and what it brings up for me is, I, because I feel if I'm not doing, I'm missing the point, and then it starts this whole cycle of, uh, you're wasting time. You're wasting your life. You're, <laughs> yes. It just starts that dialogue. Yes. You know? yes. 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 We understand. <laughs> That's the doobie doo start. That's the doobie doo <laughs> dance, right? Right. <laughs> uh, everybody has that because, um, as we were talking about at the beginning of the show, we our tendency, especially in this culture, is outward driven achievement oriented accumulation everything drives us outside and so if we're not if we're not outside if we're not being driven if we think we're wasting our time it makes us very very upset but this culture is top heavy in terms of all of that external externally driven activity and so what we're promoting here is a balance that and the earth is a perfect symbol of what happens when the exterior of life becomes too dominating and uh, the earth is now out of balance and we are the recipients of that imbalance and so to get the earth in balance i think first we have to get in balance not only by thinking about the earth um in different ways, but also bringing stillness to our actions. Mm. Big, big topic. Mm. I love that right. point. We're going to have to do another show on that. The idea of healing larger, you know, healing the world based on what we do, healing ourselves right now when everyone's waiting for the world to heal so that they can feel better about their lives. <laughs> exactly. That's another, that's another show. Um, yeah. 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 But I think Jen, thank you so much for your question. Does that help? Thank do you, you. have this a, a follow up thought? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jan. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you for starting our fan club. It means the world to us. <laughs> I'm, I'm no <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. We have another call that I that we have time for before we get to our action steps today. I think this is Nikki. Nikki, are you there? I am here. I'm shaking. Hi, my welcome. Heart nervous hi you guys thank you so much and thank you jan because i was feeling bad this is my second time that i called so i'm not alone <laughs> oh that's um, very very nice thank th- thank you where are you calling from i'm um from la normally but i now i'm in san diego california oh okay all right well welcome yeah. again do you have a question or thank a story you. or comment i do i do thank you so much um let me see i'm trying to, to verbalize succinctly which is making me panic <laughs> um well uh-huh. i love for only us don't worry you both Okay, good. Just a few of us. Um, I love that at the be- hi Steve. I love that at the beginning uh, where Steve said, you know, it comes from wanting to feel safe, because I know I don't think I'm alone in us. All, like, what's wrong with us? Why do we need to attach? Why so much about attachment? But it was helpful just to hear that it's coming from a desire to feel safe. And um, I'm currently my attachments are usually people, and I'm currently in a crisis trying to let go of one, but. I know you guys are talking about this from the spiritual point of view mainly. So if this gets off topic, you don't need to answer it. It's maybe another show. But I'm wondering about um, for some of us that have like a trauma background or crazy background, you know, there's the developmental or psychological part of of attachment style. So I know I didn't Mm. get healthy, whatever, and I have severe anxious preoccupied attachment. So that's like on a physiological um, you know, nerves, nervous system. And by the way, I, I want to investigate incubator trauma because that's where I think this happened in mm. 1958 from ha- being a cesarean, being thrown in a plastic container. You're an infant who does 
need someone to come do something for you to survive. They come randomly. They go away forever. They come back. And, like, that's what my nervous system, 62 years Mm -hmm. later, I think still feels like. So I find sort of a catch-22 in, like, the spiritual aspect and trying to detach and all these beautiful things we're working on to varying um, uh, success, no names, but it's almost a catch-22 because if I can't heal my physiological trauma, do you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. anyway, that's where I'm just wondering. Um, I, I feel so bad about my attachments. And then it's like, mm-hmm. well, I also have, you know, a sort of trauma background. So anyway, I don't know if there is there is a question in there. I don't know if it's clear. And again, if it's off topic because it's too much about psychology versus the spiritual coin, I understand. I, I'm grateful for everything you've said so far. No well, you're not on topic. <laughs> Nothing's off topic for us, and you're in good hands because you're here with a professional, seasoned psychotherapist who happens to also be deeply spiritual. So it's that's why we do this show because we bridge both of those uh, modalities. So it's absolutely appropriate. Um, before I let Steve answer, because he is the professional here, are you familiar with Peter Levine's teachings and work? Yeah, a little okay. bit. Yeah, yeah. I would highly, highly recommend him or Thomas Hubel. Um, but especially Peter Levine, who's, who actually, um, I just listened to a podcast a few days ago um, that scraped a scab off for me, too, about childhood trauma. And um, But he, he talks a lot about uh, in, in utero trauma and even working with babies, you know, shortly thereafter. So it's just something I, I sense you would resonate with. But I'd like to hear Thank Steve um, address your question. Well, that's who I was going to mention. Sorry, Peter I stole Levine. your game. <laughs> my only contribution I'm just a shell. I'm just a setup <laughs> so have you read Peter Levine's book I haven't Nikki? read the book Steve. I haven't read the book I was actually trying to find like an EMDR therapist out here but uh, but I haven't read the book yeah no, uh, you know somatic therapy is very very deep and important and um, it's not what I've been doing over the years, but I certainly refer people to somatic therapists Mm -hmm. and that kind of work. And Peter Levine's work is really on my radar at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, That kind of work could be very, very beneficial for you to go into early trauma and Mm -hmm. also to release early trauma out of the cells of your body. So that would be the first thing that I would say. So Callie hit it on the nose. Okay. And I know there was womb trauma too, because my mom was going to have an abortion and my grandmother talked her out of it. So I'm sure that it wasn't a safe environment, even in the womb. And then I know about all the ancestral stuff as well, but I I Mm. know that's pretty pre-verbal, you know? Yeah. Well, one, first of all, I, I mean, I, I, I honor and hope that you do too. The fact that you're number one, keenly aware of these very deep origins and that you're sharing them so freely to me, that's a huge, I don't know exactly where you are in your process. Um, but I'm, I imagine it's been going, you know, you've been deep in a process for a long time. And so <laughs> I just want to, I just want to recognize that because that's half, you know, that's, that's a big part of it too, just to be able to find the words, talk about getting things out of your body and somatically just to acknowledge um, your story and to learn to understand it better and then to share it so openly, I think is, is, you know, really, um, to be recognized. Um, the, the question I would also, I think we might be able to dig a little bit deeper maybe on this answer too, but I feel like I need to prompt Steve. Well, this is just a, you know, my layman question to you, Steve, um, as a psychotherapist and as a deeply spiritual human, um, is, Going back to Nikki's question, isn't there also a way to, I don't know that there's an, an order to things, which I think was part of her question too. Like, do you have to work out the physiological before you can get to the spiritual? I believe they can happen concurrently, right? I believe that um, you can figure out how to make space around the physiology of your trauma while you're also working on whatever mod- modalities, right? It can all happen at the same time and they're not yeah, mutually I mean, exclusive, if, right? If somebody was coming in to see me, I would be working on their childhood trauma. And when I say working on it, 
taking them back to certain experiences that they had to create resolution. Now, it's an, an easy sentence and a very difficult procedure, right? But simultaneously, I would be teaching them uh, relaxation techniques, probably breathing techniques. I would ask them to go to yoga because it relaxes the body. So yoga would relax the body, breathing techniques would help, meditation techniques to give them a sense of stepping back from time to time from the trauma they've experienced. So it's kind of a very holistic approach to working with uh, childhood trauma. Does that help you, Nikki? Does it resonate? Yeah. Yes, it does. Thank you. And I mean, I don't think it's like a simple answer, but it all resonates with both of you. It is. And I guess, yeah, right. Uh, And I guess it's just too, like, never having internalized that sense of safety. And so um, I think it is about, you know, working on all aspects at the same time, Um, but also trying to be patient with myself, you know, feeling. That would be the key word, Nikki. Mm -hmm. Patience with yourself. And as Callie was saying before, a tenderness and kindness toward all that you've been through, a compassion uh, about your your life arc, your history. Uh, the more kindness and compassion you can hold for yourself, the more ease your physiology is going to feel for you to do the deep work that you need to do to heal yourself. Right. And therein lies the idea of non-attachment with these deep issues, just creating a little bit more space while you're in your process without imposing pressure on yourself or imposing a deadline or or a timeline, I guess would be a better word. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. Thank you for calling. Thank you so much for your candor and your question. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you both. I so appreciate our callers. I know. It just really makes everything so relatable and and really um, grounds and and makes applicable these themes that we hope, you know, can touch people and help people. So it means so much to hear from them. Absolutely true. So as we wrap up into our final segment on non-attachment and non-aversion. I wanted to share one thing before we go into action steps also. Our beloved Pema Chodron, when I think about like my first experience on like a really clear concrete um, corner turner for me was when I read her book, When Things Fall Apart. That was the first book I ever read by Pema many, many years ago. And I might be blurring some of her books right now as I as I kind of um, share this, but you know, it's the idea of being with where you are and just acknowledging, oh, this happened, oh, that happened, oh, I'm going to make space around this, I'm going to accept this, I'm not going to run away from this, I'm going to sit with this. It was it was really it's a beautiful example of facing things that are really difficult in a way that um, uh, fosters non reactivity and creates. Uh, encourages space. Byron Katie has a few books on that as well. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of my favorites is A Thousand Names for Joy. Mm -hmm. And this is about um, her life day to day, going through circumstances, going through cancer, going through a blindness, and how somebody in that state of enlightenment handles that. And it's absolutely fascinating because there's so much space. There's so much generosity for everything that's coming down the pike. And she is a queen at that. Isn't she? Some of the stories, yeah, like attempted murder, I think, on her once. And all kinds of very, very extreme circumstances that she has a perspective that most people have never considered and with such grace. So great recommendation as well. So let's get into our action steps. Um, This is just our suggestions for ways to foster non-attachment, try to create some space around the things that are either 
um, bogging you down or that you're trying to avoid. So this can ha have a little fun with this one. Step back from your habits. Try to do something, uh, a habit differently. So even if it's as simple as opening a door with a different hand or taking a new <laughs> route to work. Um Anything that I, I once uh, on another show talked about a hike that I took and I wasn't able to park in the same parking lot. So I had to do the whole hike in the reverse order of the way I was. And I was very disoriented. And then I ended up loving it. And it's these simple things that just open up our minds and get our conditioning and sort of break the circuitry of conditioning toward whatever circumstance it is. So I think that that's really, really cool. Um the next one, and we do like to go back to this one a lot, this, this one everybody's going to hear often, um, is to find a meditation or mindfulness practice as a way to step back from the intensity of the story that you're writing so that you're not constantly getting caught, so that you're not constantly feeding, so that you can create that space and try to find some um, an opportunity to observe yourself and witness yourself versus being caught and bogged down by the details minute by minute, all the stimuli that we humans are constantly subjected to. And thirdly, step back and think about what would your life be like without that thought? So identify whatever that thing is. I am so broke. I am so single. I really wish that that person would love me more. I'm really bummed that uh, my sister treated me poorly when I was five and I'm never going to get over it. I'm just throwing out examples. If you can think about what it would be like if that was not, if you didn't have that thought, right? If you take a leap <coughs> of imagination. I think we want to give credit to dear Byron. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's from Byron Katie. Thank you for that. And it was certainly one of the, I use that in my practice all the time. And after I say, what would it be like for you not to have that thought? And then we practice that. Okay, let's look at my life now. I'm not afraid of money. What, what wonderful things are going to start happening to me? So you really let yourself imagine what your life would be like without that thought and have fun with it. Enjoy it. And what if you don't have much of an imagination or what if you're really stuck in that to such a degree that even that exercise is really difficult to do, especially on your own? Yeah. You know, not easy to do on your own, but valuable. Yeah, I always say... Well, if you can't imagine it, um, go to a friend and say, this is where I'm stuck. Help um, me imagine. Help me imagine a, a different kind of life that I would have. Just tell me what it would be like and let me digest that. I love that idea. That's a whole new like way to um, to kind of uh, grow your relationships is use your friends as uh, your kind of surrogates stand in therapist. Absolutely. So just to repeat the action steps, um, first, try to step back from a habit and change it up a little bit. Do something just slightly different. Eat a little something different for lunch. Open the door with your left mm -hmm. hand versus your right hand, whatever it may be. Um, Meditate, find your mindfulness practice or a meditation practice. We can help you with that. If you'd like to contact us, we can give you resources for it. There's also great apps on um, online. And then finally, ask yourself, what would that thought, what would your life be like without that thought? Take a leap of imagination. So with that, please join us um, on Instagram at One Soul Radio. You can find us at Facebook Live on One Soul Radio. I'm sorry, Facebook One Soul Radio. And Steve is stevehassenberg.com. I'm callialpert.com. And next week, practicing gratitude as good medicine. Thank you all so much for joining. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.